0: Multiply Podcast. Conversation aimed to stir, equip and provoke. Interviewing thinkers, practitioners and pioneers as we aim to inspire and equip kingdom people to launch kingdom communities. You can find more resources on the Vineyard Churches website www.vineyardchurches.org.uk.
1: We're delighted that you're able to join us for today's podcast. Uh, I've got James Rankin with me at Cardiff Vineyard. Just want to set the scene for today's podcast. We had a guy, Todd Bolsinger, recently join us to do the LPP which is leading planting and pioneering and the material that he shared was so good we want to share that with you today on the podcast but James can you just set the scene so that people know what they're walking into this wasn't recorded intentionally for the podcast but just allow people to understand the journey we've been on
0: absolutely I had a number of people come to me over the last year and
1: recommend Todd's
0: books um and so I was like oh okay you know when you have multiple recommendations you're like I've got yeah. to get into this and so over the last year kind of consumed some of his material and so we just thought we'd invite him to see whether you know we could have a chat with him and he said yes so hallelujah praise Jesus and what was really fun on the LPP is that after he did two sessions after this first session, which is looking all at adaptive leadership. It was almost like everybody, this. the content is so rich that <laughs> you're asking, what have you learned from this? It's like, my mind has been slightly blown. And so, yeah, I think we're just really excited to um, share this material with you. I found it deeply helpful in our setting as we're post pandemic you know moving into this next stage of you know what does it look like to lead adaptively and what are some of the components that we need to place and whether this is for a church planter just thinking about moving into a new city all the way through to somebody who's um got a large church trying to work out what to do you know we're all ends of the spectrum i think some of these tools will be really
1: useful yeah fantastic so wherever you are there it is
2: fantastic well it's great um to be together. And Todd, it's great to have you with us uh, today to just begin to, to to look at some things around adaptive leadership, around how do we navigate and lead in the current climate. Um, we'd love just to give, rather than me doing an intro and doing a, a profile of you, why don't you just give us a little bit of an intro of kind of your journey of leadership, uh, your kind of milestones, kind of how you've seen God sort of shape you and move you. In, um, in that way. We'd love to hear hear that. Oh,
3: be glad to. It's nice to be with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was raised a Roman Catholic. My grandfather's name is Guido Evangelisti. That's the truth. I'm an Italian wow. Catholic kid. That's a strong and, name. Yeah, it's a strong name. <laughs> Guido and Mary were my grandparents. And, um, and when I was in high school, I had really had a, a youth director for Youth for Christ, a person who introduced me to the whole concept of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And and what it meant to be a disciple, and it changed my life in, in the way that uh, that salvation does. You know, I went from being a person who went to church and was a good religious kid to a person who just really wanted to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. and um, ended up in a in a church community um, called um, Hollywood Presbyterian Church. It's kind of an iconic church in Los Angeles, and um, met some amazing people. And one of the people that I met uh, in the middle of this Presbyterian Church was a friend named Mark Roberts, who was um, whose uncle was Don Williams, who was involved in this thing called the Vineyard. And so so we would, a group of Presbyterians would drive about an hour down to the Anaheim Vineyard to hear John Wimber uh, speak and um, experience that ministry. And I have my own stories of experiencing that ministry. And what was really interesting is it really shaped who I, am as a pastor and who i am as a leader i i often say to people that i'm a presby jesuit with kind of third wave uh, charismatic <laughs> sensibilities about me and um and so um for 27 years i was a pastor in the, in churches um i ended up getting a couple of degrees along the way including a phd from fuller and um about eight years ago i went back to fuller seminary where um, i got my degrees to be a senior administrator. And 18 months ago, I stepped out of senior administration because I just would rather spend every day working with leaders on the front line than sitting in administration meetings. <laughs> and, um, and we're, so, we're not
0: going to comment at that point. We're just
3: exactly so to really. So today, I run the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller. It's what I founded. It's it's really um, built around studying how do you bring faithful change. And I run a little company with my wife that's called A.E. Sloan Leadership. Um, that where we basically every day, we work on helping faith leaders thrive as change leaders. And um, it's an incredible joy to be able to spend just every waking moment thinking, how do we help people around the world who are going through a time of deep disruption and change Mm. do faithful change so that the gospel can go forward. And so that more um, the next generation can experience the gospel that came to me. That's amazing
2: that's awesome why don't we just do a a shameless plug for a couple of your books that i know why don't you just tell us about um the the of books that we're going to be talking about a little bit or digging some of the material out of um why don't you share those with us so that people can pick them up and they'll be a a huge resource
3: thank you yeah so um uh, the book that i spent the better part of about 10 years of my own journey and was a book called Canoeing the Mountains and it tells the story out of American history um, that really is rooted in kind of, um, of the deep European sensibility that uh, Europe wanted to get the raw material of Asia to Europe so whoever owned the water routes would be the most dominant nations and so Great Britain Spain um, those uh, basically Portugal they ended up in a long process and so When the guy named Christopher Columbus stumbled onto America, I I don't say discovered because there's a lot of people who are already here. Um, um, For the better part of 100 years, they wanted to just get through that big landmass and find that water route. And when you fast forward to 1803, Lewis and Clark um, were these explorers who went all the way up through our river system across the Missouri River. And they were trying to find the Columbia River and they found the Rocky Mountains, this massive set of mountains that nobody in the east could even imagine like they thought hills Um, these are 14,000 foot peaks that went 300 miles and they were trying to find a water route and there wasn't a water route so Mm -hmm. canoeing the mountains is really about how do you lead when the world in front of you is completely different than the world behind you when 300 (laughs) years of maps are wrong when the assumptions that every that you grew up with assuming that the world worked this way would uh were or, would fall apart in a moment and what canoeing the mountains it does is introduces the whole concept of adaptive leadership where you have to lead when there are no best practices and you have to learn as you go and you've got to drop canoes and you've got to figure out new ways of leading and that book led into this the most recent book called tempered resilience which is really um, the number one challenge of that kind of leadership we discovered wasn't uh, that there's mountains in front of you. It's that the people who went with you are so deeply disappointed. <laughs> they thought they were on a river trip, <laughs> they, they thought they were going to be paddling, and now they got to walk <laughs> and, and they're mad and they're upset. And how do you keep leading toward a vision when the very people that you're with resist your leadership? So, mm-hmm. Canoeing the Mountains and Tempered Resilience are the two books that I've been spending bulk of my time uh, with people on the last, since 2015. That's amazing.
0: And then just a short thing, Todd, they are absolutely brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, sometimes um, they're the best two books that I've read in this last year. And I've read a few. So, like, genuinely, that's why me and Mike are so excited today, because we just, we're just like, actually, this is, having come through a pandemic, we're like, yes, we need some of this stuff. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of they're kind of prophetic aren't they
2: <laughs> in the sense of um something comes back into kind of such relevance for today and i guess that would be where where we'd love to start this conversation um with you todd is is this you you kind of pick up this idea at the beginning of the of canoe in the mountains that how do you begin to lead when you don't know what lies ahead and I guess for, for people that are planting new churches, they're exploring planting or pioneering, or people that are currently now pioneering um, for the first time, or, or, or they're pioneering out of the pandemic. Um, what would, could you just begin to, to unpack some of the, the key concepts that you start to bring up and kind of intro into this discussion, that'd be great.
3: Well, so one of the one of the interesting parts you say about being prophetic. So when I wrote Canoeing the Mountains, what I was writing about wasn't prophetic. It was this long, slow shift mm. from what we call a Christendom world to a post-christendom world. Uh, Christendom world isn't where everybody's a Christian, it's where the culture supports Christianity, right? So, so you know, I'm talking to you guys in the UK, a Church of England, <laughs> like my my tradition, Presbyterian comes out of the Church of Scotland, right? right? Yeah. When culture supports Christianity, when, when you get a home field advantage, when it yeah. feels like you're on your own home pitch all the time and you got all, everybody cheering for you, and now you're in this world where you're no longer have that home pitch advantage, that's the difference. What's interesting is that the pandemic put everybody there. Like like up until the pandemic, I would have people who would argue with me about that, especially in the United States. There'd be all kinds of people who are like, oh, no, 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 We need to get back our cultural revel- relevance. We need to go back and get uh, restore the mm. way that our nation needs to support Christianity. Mm. I mean, we could have a debate about that. Um, the pandemic put everybody there. Mm. And the place where we're all in now isn't about the shift from post Christendom to post Christendom, though that's happening. It's what do you do when all the structures of faith are up for grabs? Hmm. When all the practices that you learn um, are now under question, when you literally cannot lead from a best practice, when you can't look at somebody else and go, so what did you do? or this is how I was trained and now I'll do it. You're literally having to learn as you go. Mm. And that's what means that's when, you know, you're in an adaptive moment when the only honest answer you can give when someone says, so pastor, what are we going to (laughs) do is I don't know. (laughs) Like, like, like I don't know. So, but we are going to have to learn as we go. And the second part part of that is, and a lot of what got us here, we're going to have to let go of, Mm. So when you have to learn as you go and you have to let go, you have to lose things, you have to experience loss. Hmm. Now you know you're leading people through an adaptive moment. And that's the place where where everybody is. I mean, so, I mean, you put it this way, like, you know, pioneers and church planters, they're always been the folks who've been out on the edge, but there's like a long history, like, oh, 2,000 years of history about church planting. And especially within a Christendom world, Hmm. A lot of you could you could look to other church planters and look to other contexts and look to other models, and you could be t- trained in those models. Mm.
2: Um,
3: they're more disruptive than the ordinary church, but there were models. Today, you actually have people trying to do something that uh, we would have thought impossible forty years ago, which is how do you replant institutions? How do you take how do you take conservative yes. institutions and give them new life? I mean, literally, we find ourselves going all the way back to like the words of Jesus yeah. talking about wine and wineskins and realizing, oh, we're having to learn a skill set that um, what used to be two different groups of people, the institutional people and the pioneering people. Now we're all in one big place doing it all together.
2: That's so true, isn't it? That kind of is no longer one or the other. I think um, I think you mentioned your, in, in your book about. um. That we're now having to ask questions that we're, we that we were too scared of scared to ask, too proud to to ask, and um what was the other one? And too busy to ask. And almost the pandemic has forced us to go. Well, we have to ask those questions. It's not a choice of whether we engage with them, and therefore be the church that is a little bit more edgy and, and kind of stepping out. It's like we're all in this. Yeah. So, so, so that's kind of what something i see I don't know whether James you'd agree. Something I've seen with a lot of a lot of pastors both within our tribe, but also within our city and surrounding areas of like, this, oh no, wait a minute, I don't want to go back to, well, I don't want to go back and I can't go back to the way I used to yeah. do things. But I don't necessarily have a framework of what I what the future holds. Yeah. And for some, they, they're tapping out at that moment. It's like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm too close to retirement. I don't need this journey. Um, And and there's others of us going, okay. And then there's others that are actually about to pioneer. They're like, wait a minute, I'm about to do this whole new thing in this whole new world. So what would be some of the, how do you prepare to step into leading off, off the map? Like, how do you kind of begin this new way of leading that we're kind of wanting to unpack today?
3: Well, so, and he, and here's the one more part, I'm just gonna make it even more complex. Yes. <laughs> so think about it, we're sitting here as leaders, just imagine yourself sitting on this peak. You're looking over the Lemhi Pass, uh, which would be, you know, if you know American geography, it's between Montana and Idaho. It's like the middle of the country. You're looking at this pass and you realize everybody who we brought on this trip thinks this is a water route. We brought people who built their own boats. They invented a boat. <laughs> like they're the expert water people. That's what they want. And all of a sudden you look up and you realize there ain't no water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like like there's not a river. So now we have the decision to make. Are we water people or are we discoverers? Mm -hmm. What's our deepest thing? Is it discovering a water route or is it discovering whatever's in front of us? Mm -hmm. And if you came on the trip because you're a water person, you will double down on paddling a long time. You will look for rivers, you will argue for rivers, you'll even argue that the real essence of the trip wasn't the water route going forward, it was preserving canoeing. (laughs) What we really should do is go back and make sure that everybody preserves the great tradition of canoeing. We should tell stories about canoeing, we should introduce canoeing to our children, We we should create even better boats that are good for the past. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in this moment as a leader, where you realize the great struggle isn't just your own internal, like "Am I up for it?" It's how do I take people who are deeply disappointed forward? Hmm. Because internally, we long for the familiar so much. I always say when I'm when I'm coaching and consulting, I will say to people, "Remember the root word for family and familiar." are the same root word. Mm. So when you're in an unfamiliar moment, you actually feel unfamilied. You don't feel disoriented, <laughs> you feel abandoned, right? <laughs> so you wanna go back, you wanna go back to anything familiar, you wanna go home. Yeah, well, Including if that home is Egypt and you're a Hebrew slave and God's promised you the promised land how many times in the story of exodus did the people say you know slavery they killed our children but we had leeks and onions for lunch oh yeah right? and you, so you find that the hardest part for leaders isn't just their own internal like i have to go forward though we we need to talk about how they do that but it's how do i take these people forward and what do i do when the people that i thought i was going to be leading all say we're tapping out yeah. And then people cool. are in such
0: disparate places, aren't they? You know, right. from places. Right. Suddenly you're like, well, how do I get this? You know, people who have been disconnected and apart and who have different ideas. And how do we drive towards something? It was fascinating. Sorry, just I was in a, a pastor's meeting yesterday or of, of different pastors from different denominations. You, you know, when we were talking about what's God doing in Cardiff, what's God doing? doing in our city but it's exactly what you're talking about there some are kind of we just need to get back to what we were doing before and some are like no we need to forget what we're doing we need to move forwards and um, just as people shared I was like oh wow you can see it in the room just the different ways that pastors are addressing this question yeah. uh was just fascinating exactly what you're just saying there yeah.
3: so I was talking to Jane Pathak uh the, the new national director of the United States mm. and we were talking about this and I said you know I come from a generation where when people talk about the vineyard movement, we literally have stories Stories of a group of Presbyterians who used to get in the car, drive mm. an hour to go to the Anaheim Vineyard and watch people run into the worship services. Like mm. they did not want to be late because they knew the Holy Spirit was gonna fall. And, and I'm thinking, and there's a whole group of folks who realized, oh my gosh, what the best part about being part of this movement is the spirit is at work and we're in the middle of a revival, let go of those things. Mm. Well, you know, I don't know the last time anybody ran into any of my services. <laughs> I don't like yep. it. And so also you find if if we're not in this moment where just the Holy Spirit is falling all over the place and we are called to go faithful, what if we're in like a Jeremiah 29 moment where God promises us that he knows the plans he has for us, that he has hope for us? Yeah. And that 70 years from now, he's going to come back because that's what it says in Jeremiah 29. 70 years from now. So, in the meantime, what you do is you plant vineyards, you make gardens, you build houses, you give your children a marriage, and you seek the peace of the city. Hmm. Whoa, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up to start churches where people ran into worship services and the Holy Spirit fell all over them and they got miracles. And it was like, oh, I didn't sign up for gardening yeah so i realized what you're having to deal with so much is leading people including ourselves through the disappointment yes ronald, ronald heifetz who's uh, the the person behind adaptive leadership from harvard he just he describes leadership as disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb <laughs> i mean none of us got into this because we're going to disappoint people i said that everybody I know who got into ministry, it was like, there's, I want to introduce the people I love to the God I love. And what I really want to do is do that by helping them, helping build a church they will love. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you do? Like, what's not to love? What do you, When all of a sudden we're saying is actually the season that we're in and that we might be in for 70 years is a season where we are having to take people through the wilderness to the promised land. And of some of us may not get out like I, i'm convinced i'm the generation that is not going to get out of the wilderness and probably you guys aren't either so it's
0: like, like <laughs> well, i think mike's quite a lot older actually <laughs> and, uh, so he's kind of the generation above me i, I think
2: i've got more hair james anyway um, let, let's stop. but but, um, but I, do you know what Charlie, it's really interesting isn't it because i think like i've spent my time in hebrews 11 recently just reading through the kind of Th- through the hall of fame and it always it always strikes me when you get to it none of them saw none of them saw what they were living for but they were living for a country that they did and that's what faith is so
3: so, so on that really um positive note now jay we're not going to stop okay. that but no, this is this is way talking to me is always like this say, i'm the guy who's like hey lead on it's really hard <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's it's interesting isn't it it's like okay so um what are the things do you think then are some of the ways of thinking around leadership that we need to kind of let go of
3: yeah well here so let me give you one this is this is where i'm spending a i'm so i so i i, I work every day i work both within my company and in my and in my institute i work every day with groups of leaders leading change that's what we do mm-hmm. and one of the hardest parts to get to get through of that recently i've been talking with a lot of people about is if you think about the leaders in front of that were before us the generation before us the people that you most trusted, you always believed when I have enough trust, right? Whenever I get enough trust, if I'm, if I'm faithful to my vows, if I take care of people, if I grow in wisdom, if I have enough experience, if people will trust me, then they will follow me. And I've got to have this wellspring of trust. It's just about building trust. What I now say to people is remember, trust is not transformation. Mm. you can't bring transformation without trust, but trust is not transformation. People will trust you. They will say, we absolutely believe in you. We think you're a trustworthy leader. And we would like to have you stay with us right here.
0: Yes. Yeah. We're not going there.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So security. So trust builds people secure in you and you have to help people invest that trust in transformation which means you're only leading people when trust is going down because you're having to disappoint them you're having to take them into where they don't want to go you're having to ask them to invest in what they don't want to invest in I mean you're you're actually having to take people through a process of transformation so think of it like if you have a big bank account and you want to build a house you gotta let the bank account go down for the house to go up right? and yeah. so But for most of us, I think we've always thought, well, we could, whatever we'll build, we'll build on this trust. And trust is not transformation, but without trust, there is no transformation. So you're always in this process of refueling trust Hmm. so that you can get people to expend it in transformation, the building of something new that is beyond us, the transformation of our own hearts. And for many of us, that's that combination that is... Something that we just didn't realize how emotionally taxing it would be to how to take people through that. So so is that when you when you're
2: unpacking that, is that a little bit when, when you when you describe the fact that leading for today is not about creating the shiny future and giving all the solutions, but giving the brutal facts of reality of today and kind of leading people,
3: is that—is that what you're- um, Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. So if so, you so think about this, for many of us, the idea was what we said to people was like, just trust me, look, look at the, look at our churches growing, Our um, there's, there's this great city that has a need, there's no church here, it's growing, people are here, come join us there's always been a small amount of early adopters. Most people join something that is already growing and that feels validating. What happens if what you're actually doing is saying, actually, we're going to start a work in this area and we're going to be spending a generation building a witness here and capacity here and openness for the gospel here. Things that friends that, that previous generations had to do, oftentimes on what we call the mission field, right? Mm. Today, I mean, I was telling people, the mission field is not, over seawater, it's across the sidewalk. It's like right out, it's right here. And we don't realize that we weren't prepared for that. We were not trained for that. That's, most of us were not trained for that. Some were, but very few. So you're now actually having to take people through a journey where they have a vision of wanting to make an impact. And they're gonna have to invest in that vision deeply and profoundly over a long period of time. And it might be through a lot of experiments a bulk of them feel like they didn't work. They're Mm. just like experiment. Like I always say, when we work with folks on experimentation, we say, please get rid of the idea of asking the question, did it work? Don't ask that question anymore. Always ask the question, what do we learn?
1: Mm.
3: Experiments are about learning. What are we learning? If we're learning, we're moving forward. Adaptive leadership is leading learning. What are we learning? Mm. What do we need to let go of? So so just to jump in there, Dodd, how do we keep,
0: you know, if there's a trust kind of equity <laughs> um, yeah. balance going on, how do we keep building trust in this fluid dynamic that you talk about whereby w- with what success looks like in a changing world where, you know, things haven't necessarily grown during the pandemic and things have shut and things have closed and things have died. How is trust built as, as a leader and as a pastor? Into yeah. this environment of adaptive leadership.
3: Well, so in um, in Canoing the mountains, I have this three circle diagram. So uh, think of it this way: is um, we always say that trust is built through a combination of technical competence and relational congruence. Okay. And what technical competence is? It means it means being competent at the things that we expect you to be competent at, right? Mm-hmm. So. So, I mean, that means it, the stuff you, so um, if I, if, if you can't trust me to handle the scriptures well, and if you can't ha- trust me to handle your soul well, if you come in and ask me to meet with you and pray with you, and if you can't hand, trust me to handle your family well, or your, or a meeting well, or your money well, if, if, if I'm not, if I'm incompetent and I don't have to be an expert of those, just competent, but if I'm incompetent those, I have no credibility. Mm-hmm. So, so here's the part, is what used to be the center of our jobs. If you just think about this, the center of our work, like, okay, um, I would say everybody who comes to a seminary, somebody said to them, you're the best Christian I know, you should go pro. <laughs> and you should go, up, you should go up to professional Christian school. And when, they're finished, when we're finished with them, we give them a master of divinity. Sounds like a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> so what they do, they go back to, into a setting and they're the experts. Here's how you use the scriptures. Here's what I know about church history. Here's what we learned about having to run good church meetings. Here's what we learned about having to take care of people. Here's what we know in pastoral care. You do that, you're competent. That's all you need it to be.
1: Mm.
3: Now that competency just lets people say, okay, they have credibility. Mm. You also, in a time of deep distress, people have to know you absolutely care about them. That's mm. relational congruence. This is One of the big scandals that we see about like mega churches is people who are really, really technically competent. I mean, incredible preachers, Mm. visionaries, great with social media. But if you're a bully or if you have horrible boundaries or you've got bad sexual ethics Mm. or you don't treat people well, I mean, we've watched churches. I mean, we've watched mega churches die in a minute. Yeah. So you have to be a person who has both technical con- competence and relational congruence. And what I mean by that is that you've got to be the same person in every setting. If someone bumps into you at the, at the market, it's got to feel like they're meeting the same person that they're hearing in the pulpit. And it's the same person who's a parent and the same person mm-hmm. who's a community member. There's that, that, that trust is built around relational congruence and technical competence. Then you have to invest that in what we call adaptive capacity which is the capacity to lead people through learning loss. And the hardest part is through competing values where you literally have to say, these are two things that are really valuable to us, canoeing and discovering <laughs> a water route and a whole new world. And one of these things we're going to have to drop. We're gonna have to, we can't go forward if we're going to insist that we're about canoeing we can't um, canoe if we're going to assist we go forward Hmm. what makes competing values so hard is you have two really valuable things and you can't solve it in a win-win solution that most of us that's that's
0: that's the hardest i think that's the right there sorry is the thing that i found hardest about leading in the last bit do you know what i mean it's just like you can't have both of these, James. It's not a win-win. And I'm like, well, I don't wanna I don't wanna choose. I don't know which one to choose. Yeah, they're, like, they're both really important. God, how could you right. put me in this position? I don't right. want to choose.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yep. This is. I mean. So most of us. I mean, always say that. You know. Stephen Covey's little book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was for many people like the the first leadership book we were ever given. You know. You're. You're like yes. a. I was like a youth pastor, and hey, Todd, you need to get your life organized read this. Yeah. And the first thing it teaches is think win-win. And when you're young and brash, thinking win-win is really good because it's a way of telling you, you know, you don't have to always get your way. Now the hard part now is what do you do when you've practiced again your expertise your default behavior of the past has been i'm going to find a win-win solution and all of a sudden we're told no you got a choice it's either discovery or canoeing which one Hmm. to go forward you got to drop canoes or you can go back and you can be about preserving the past which one and when you ask your people. They're split too, <laughs> and yeah. most of them will choose to go back. They would rather be the president of the canoeing society than be a dude carrying luggage. <laughs> like, it's,
2: but that's that's a that's the interesting thing that I'm trying to I'm grappling with at the moment is that if our com if trust is built through competency and relational and our relationships and how we deal with that, and then we are trying to lead people in this kind of journey of change and you start to lose people in that process who say no i don't want to come i'm going then it feels like you're doing the right thing but then you're losing people in the process which then makes people doubt your competency exactly
3: yeah isn't that great
2: (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and so you're kind of sitting there going but i think my metrics are changing
1: yeah and my
2: my metrics of bigger bigger and better equals right right is changing but for most people the their willingness to follow you is well if this thing is working it will get bigger and better and you're like no 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 i'm i'm actually going smaller and more clearer if that makes sense more clarity and smaller but they're going yeah so it's like how do you, how do you hold that ground? Like, how do you not tap out?
3: Yep. Yep. So there's, so two places to think about the you just described is exactly. So is exactly the challenge I think we have today for many of us in leadership. So I'm 57 mm. and, the, and the problem with my life is I, if I didn't experience it, I knew the people who experienced when almost everything in my, in Christianity was going up and to the right. <laughs> almost everything was growing right so if you but if you came out of the vineyard movement and you got a bunch of people telling you hey look all we had to do is find a school auditorium and start doing this stuff and people came right <laughs> right, yeah. right? If yeah. you, you know, like we when we just prayed god's spirit came people ran into the services that's all we had to do like we just boom it just worked and god showed up i'm not saying anything about god and i'm not even saying that those folks were wrong i'm just saying that the work the world we're in today is different it's not that like that's like, like 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 that's not the challenge we've been given. If it is, praise be to God. Like I would say, like if you can solve your problem with a technical solution, oh, from oh, do so. Like if you can out preach this thing, if you can get a smoke machine or have a cool <laughs> name, or that's you can dream, that's the dream. That's the <laughs> dream. Like, really, like, <laughs> it, like oh my, you can do it, then do it. If you can solve it with a technical solution, there's nothing trivial about technical, right? I always think. Remember, technical just means an expert can solve it. So. You know, like I always say, if I'm flying, if I'm I'm on an airplane, I don't want an adaptive pilot. I want a pilot (laughs) who is learning and having to let go of some things. I don't want them navigating any competing value. I want them to land the plane, right? If you can solve it with the technical, that you can't. The problem with most of us is we keep trying to solve adaptive challenges with technical solutions. And so what we're having to let go of is that, and we find ourselves actually in a place. And what gives me hope for this is you see it in Jesus. He feeds the 5,000 and the crowds go crazy. And the disciples go, this is amazing. And he literally has to pull away from the crowds. They cross over the sea. We have another miracle on the way, calms the storm. They get to the other side, the crowds have gathered again. And he wants them to feed us again. Watch what this dude can do with a tuna sandwich. This is (laughs) incredible, do it. And he says, no, and the crowds leave him. Mm. Because the technical solution is I'm gonna feed you. The adaptive challenge is you need to be transformed. And in John six, you actually have a moment where they look at him, the disciples look at him like, what are you doing? And he says, are you gonna leave me too? And you have this moment where Peter says, and this is the way I think Peter said it where else are we going to (laughs) go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We don't like the way you're doing it, by the way. Yeah. Where else are we going to go? We gave up everything. I gave up my fishing business. I. We 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 left our families at home. We've been following you around this countryside. We we finally got a crowd, everything going the right direction. One more feeding miracle, and we probably would have have what we need. And you're blowing this thing. Hmm. Because what they're thinking is: get a big crowd, be powerful, get notice from Rome, and we'll get everybody else to rally to us, and we will kick those Romans out. Because hmm. we want the kingdom of God and we know what that looks like that looks like David Mm -hmm. and Jesus goes let me reframe the kingdom for you (laughs) and it's disappointment we wouldn't be here if he hadn't had the courage to do that then we I wouldn't have we wouldn't have the gospel wouldn't have gone forward into the world, to all the nations, if it had been a move, a renewal movement for the power of the nation state of Israel. Yeah. yeah.
0: Just, I wanted to stay just on your triangle for a second. And I was just thinking about a planter going into a new situation when you plant a church and your adaptive change moment, do you know what I mean? So in some senses, in, in year one of a planting situation, or year, the first couple of years, your kind of, the competence they're seeing, the relational congruence, do you know what I mean? It's like, I was try, just trying to work out how long does this, uh, trust is such an interesting concept though, isn't it? When people gather around you and that ability to change, I suppose it's something that you feel, isn't it? It's almost like this, this line of whether you feel that you couldn't move, but I suppose when you're starting something, you've got a new community that you're gathering around. So they'll just opt out super fast. The difference is when you've been in a church for a while, do you know what I mean? They're they're, they're there for a different set of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: Yeah. So if you're thinking about church planting, I mean, so I I do a lot of work with folks who've been church planters. I'm not one. hmm. Um, I I I have this great affection for it. And I've done a lot of work with church planting movements. And what I realized is most church planters have a combination of the kind of charisma that people are drawn to them. They like, they, They'll say we're going to do a new kind of church and people go, church, cool, and it's going to be new, better, right? Oh, that's great. What happens if all of a sudden you say, you know, what we're basically going to do is we don't have no, we don't have any idea what we're going to do. We just know that it's going to have something where we are going to gather people together, where they're going to experience the grace of Jesus Christ and become, and, and, and be the embodiment of Jesus's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right here. That's what we're gonna do. Everybody's mental model is the thing of the past. We all default back to our training. We just can't help it. So partly what you're doing from the very beginning is you're building trust with people by calling them to a vision and by being caring for them in such a way that they can begin to grow in it. So we see it in the gospel, Jesus calling people to the kingdom of God. They're thinking, David, he's preparing them for a different future that doesn't mean that it's all going to go great. I mean, Jesus himself demonstrates there's a moment when they all leave him. Mm. He gets crucified, they all leave him. <laughs> right? So, but the pro- the power is to believe that the Holy Spirit is actually doing something in this and that we're participating in it. And so you're inviting people in. So your early work is really being as faithful as you can in the learning process. And this is where I say for... For almost every pastor remember this your birthright is that you're a learner because that's what the word disciple means so discipleship including your own in ongoing discipleship is the center of your experience you're inviting people into your own life of discipleship with you that's your birthright and loss is the way of the kingdom always John 12, unless a seed hmm. falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever wants to follow me must hmm. deny themselves, pick up their cross, follow me. It's there's this pattern is the pattern of the kingdom. So you are always leading people through learning and through loss. And for most of us who've been trained, we've been trained actually to be good learners and to help be good teachers. And we understand what to do with personal loss. Most of us who've had any kind of training whatsoever have had to walk with people through personal loss. What we haven't been very good at is helping people with corporate communal shared loss. Mm.
0: Mm, That's really interesting.
2: I I think this is fascinating, isn't it, uh, uh, Todd? Because what I'm hearing you say is that we often cast vision around structures organizations and we leverage it with our competency and ability and gifting when actually the focus of vision should really at heart be transformation.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. We're after transformation into the likeness of Christ for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And if we do that, actually, firstly, that transformation will look different for each of us, but collectively, if we do our work, if we do our stuff, and we choose to turn up and be obedient in, in this context, at this time, we believe God will do something through us because he's a man of, he's, he's a God of the collective and the church. Yeah. That and actually you can, And I, just my journey of planting our church 10 years in, was we built exactly that. We built on the competency, on the vision, on the structures, And what everybody was asking on the journey was, when are we gonna do X, Y, Z? When are we gonna get the building? When are we gonna get, does that make sense? And it just- Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, so- And and, and you just, and you realize, you just realize, ah, but then if you choose, if you, but if you change tact and go, no, wait a minute, we're going for transformation. It is, it's that, oh, wow. I'm reconstructing everything here.
3: So, yeah, so I woke I, I woke up this morning and I've been thinking about this concept and um, and I actually even tweeted it today because I wanted to I wanted to see what some people out there that I work with would think about this. The the part of what we deal with is we need an aspirational vision. Yeah. Like this is what we long for, mm. but it has to be about an actual pain point in the world, not about building ourselves. So if you think so, I, I learned this the hard way because I was doing some work for our seminary and uh, that was going to be pretty innovative. They basically said this is going to be an innovative startup within an institutional setting like and the, and those usually don't go very well, by the way, right? yes, like, I can they, imagine they, yeah. <laughs> like you think the church is like an old model. How about seminaries? It's an eleven hundred year old business model. Right? It's been around like seminaries yeah. started out of monasteries that were rooted in universities. That's what we're about. Right. So if you want to change theological education, and we wanted to really rethink it, and that's what I—that's w- what I was brought to, to Fuller. So I'm so I had this whole idea, this this vision. And I give it before our trustees, and one of the guys who's a trustee is a lawyer in Silicon Valley, where all the innovative startup companies are. And he says, "Why don't you come and talk to some startup people about this? Because this isn't going to go well for you." <laughs> and so, so I end up in a meeting in a Silicon Valley boardroom, like on one of those famous streets where a lot of the products and the things we use are are being invented. And they, they tell me, give us your pitch. Like, tell us, like, tell us as if you are going to try to raise money from us for a little startup company. We're not giving you any money, but just oh. give us your pitch. When I finished the pitch, they all looked at me and said, you've been doing that around the seminary a lot, haven't you? I said, oh, yeah, I got to get them on board. They said, yeah, because you just gave us an entire pitch on why this is really important because it'll help the seminary survive. God, nobody cares if your institution survives. They only care if your institution cares about them. So, why don't you go find a real pain point in the world and solve that? (laughs) Well, also, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, oh, I'm sitting here trying to be as innovative as possible about how to help my seminary. And how many pastors have been like, we want our church to survive. Nobody cares if your church survives. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. all over America, let alone all over Europe, there's some beautiful old cathedrals that are out now really cool brew pubs. They don't care.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: What they care about is do you care about them? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we start realizing if our vision is we want to bring the grace and love of Christ to a place of real pain in the world, and that's going to require us to change, now we're in the adaptive journey. The adaptive journey is about how we bring our charism, our gift, our values, our who we really are, and we, and we put that up against the pain of the world in a particular place, and we recognize that's gonna require us to adapt and change and grow. Mm-hmm. We're no longer water people. We're discoverers. Mm-hmm. We're no longer paddling. We're now having to find horses. We're no longer the people who were tutored by Thomas Jefferson in the White House. We're now the people who are listening to a teenage Native American nursing mother named Sacagawea,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and we need her to be one of our partners to teach us, because she. this is her land, and she understands this world, and we're going to have to learn from her.
0: Mm. Mike, so, is
3: it, oh, I was just wondering whether, it's,
0: whether Todd had any questions, do you know what I mean, that we you know we're about to go into breakout rooms and i didn't know whether you had any questions that you know around some of the concepts that you've just been speaking about
3: Todd. well what i often tell people to do when they've heard this part the first time through is um i I used to use this little mnemonic i used to use when i taught the bible to high school students um what inspired you like what's the thing that you found yourself like you're gonna text or tweet or you're gonna tattoo it on your body like what's the thing that you heard that you went oh my gosh that's awesome I wanna share that with someone. What inquiry do you have? What question do you have? What's the thing that you wanna get clear on because you're not sure? Inspire, inquire. What irked you? When you heard it, you went, I don't know. (laughs) He's from America. He doesn't get us, I don't know. Like it bothered you. I always tell my my doctoral students, I give extra credit for irks. They're my favorite, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or the last one is, What's going to require a change? Inspire, inquire, irk, require. What's going to require a change? That, I believe, is usually the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay, this is going to require a change in me. I thought I could preach my way out of this. If I was just a good enough speaker, mm. good enough preacher, if I just got a kick in band, oh, my gosh. Now it's going to require me to bleed in a totally different way. And I don't want to. I can feel this is the work of the spirit. Inspire, inquire, require. I just encourage people like in groups, pick one of those prompts and talk it through deeply and then and share with each other, pray with each other. That's amazing.
1: So grateful for the opportunity to listen to Todd in that way. I've definitely found a couple of his books really helpful and found throughout that podcast myself, just with a notebook of things of certain phrases or concepts that I want to go back on and, reflect on we just want to mention a couple of things to you um the vlg is coming up Uh, there's week a and part b uh, starting on the 25th or the 28th of april we will be intentionally gathering people who want to explore a conversation further about multiplication on two of the evenings there you'll find out more when you're there but we just wanted to mention it to invite you into those spaces also we've got the summit coming up on the 23rd of june james do you just want to paint the picture for people of what that is if they've not yet heard about that
0: Yes, we were
1: we were launching the
0: summit literally just as COVID started. And we kind of had that, oh, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? And unfortunately, it didn't manage to happen. But all the more excitement for being able to be in person and in the room. I think one of the things that people maybe have struggled is not having those kind of conversations, those stirring conversations together in dialogue. And so what we see the summit is, is three different streams, really. You've got um, people that are discerning a call. that that something's on their life they're exploring they're discerning you've got people that are currently out in the planting process and they planted a church in the last you know four years and then finally you've just got senior pastors who are wanting to press into what does it look like to multiply at every level of our churches and so we're bringing this together we've got steve nicholson And really, we just see it as a space, a creative space to think about, God, what does it look like to continue to push into multiplication in loads of different ways? There's not one way of multiplying, but to say, actually, let's talk about it. And and God, would you just speak as we um, reemerge into this new world? And so deeply, deeply excited about the conversations that are going to happen. So make sure that you sign up to that.
1: Yeah, we'd love to invite you. You can find out and sign up. Uh, to it on the vineyard Church's website um, there's also an opportunity there to sh- sign up to multiply monthly where we just send out some resources that will help stir these conversations on a regular basis and also you can get in touch with some of the team at multiply at vcuki.org.uk we'd love to hear from you and help resource you but Absolutely. thanks for joining us today